Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Dr. Eric Feigelding is with us. Our red state's COVID deaths about to skyrocket. He's the epidemiologist and health economist, adjunct senior fellow of the American Federation of Scientists, FAS.org. His uh, Twitter handle, which I follow and avidly, is Dr. Uh, Dr. Eric, E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. Dr. Feigelding, welcome back to the program. I'm, uh, I'm so glad to have you on. There's a number of things that I, I wanted to ask you about. First is this Delta variant, sometimes referred to as the Indian variant or out of India, that seems to be just ripping through the world, particularly the UK right now. They've, they've postponed their opening. The CDC just issued a report yesterday indicating that large, a huge number of American counties, almost all of them counties that Donald Trump carried in the last election, have vaccination rates below 25 percent. Are we looking at a real problem here in the United States? Are we looking at massive death and diseases in these counties, specifically as a consequence of the lack of vaccination? This pandemic has come a long ways, and we have seen the Delta variant, a.k.a. the Indian variant, ravage India. India's lost well over a million people in the last few months. Economists say it could be as high as two, three million at least a million people, according to economists in the New York Times. And now it's completely dominated UK. UK is seeing rises in cases, rises in hospitalization, especially in children. Children's especially is the leading group of people infected, as well as the parents of children, which implies schools. And the problem with the Delta variant is it's more contagious. It's about 50% more contagious than the Alpha UK variant which was already 54% more contagious. That makes it twice as contagious as the original. It's more severe. It's about two and a half times higher risk of hospitalization than the alpha, which was already 60% higher, which makes it, if you multiply them together, 4x higher than 
the original strain in terms of hospitalization. So it's more contagious, more severe. And one dose of the vaccine is not good protection. One dose of it is about 30% efficacy, uh, whether it's AstraZeneca or Pfizer. Now, two doses, you get 60% of AstraZeneca, 88% of Pfizer, uh, approximately. But one dose is just not enough anymore. And even Dr. Bachi says, a one dose is a serious problem. And we know that two dose vaccination in America is really low. And there's also the issue of Johnson Johnson, which by definition is a one dose. Yeah. So we are facing with potentially another surge in uh, probably August, late July, August. And that really worries me. There was a story that was widely reported a few days ago out of Boston that there were several hundred breakthroughs in fully uh, breakthrough cases, people getting infected, fairly severely infected, you know, enough that they're presenting themselves at doctor's offices or hospitals and getting diagnosed with full-blown COVID infections, even though they're fully vaccinated, they're still doing the the DNA work to determine which variant it is. But the the assumption is that this is a a pocket of this Delta variant. Does this mean that we're going to go back to wearing masks all the time and maybe not full lockdown or something like that, but but that even vaccinated people need to be wary. I'm reading that, you know, if it's 93%, even if a fully vaccinated, I'm fully vaccinated with Pfizer, right? If that means that I have 93% protection against the Delta variant, which is what Fauci said this morning on NPR, that means there's a 7% chance I'll get that Delta variant. I mean, if I knew that there was a 7% chance that I would die in a car crash driving downtown this afternoon, I wouldn't go. So, you know, what do we make of that? That efficacy means, you know, 90% lower chance, Not does not imply that you have, you know, 10% chance or 7% chance of getting it. But it's not foolproof. And breakthrough infections do happen. CDC, unfortunately, has stopped tracking it as of May 1st. They oh. only track breakthroughs if you get hospitalized or die, which I feel is like a little bit too hands-off. I think we should tackle this further. Massachusetts tracks it directly. And they found 500 cases of breakthroughs in the last three weeks. That's pretty high. Now, overall, breakthroughs have been about 1 in 10,000 vaccinated people. But with Delta, we think it's probably higher. We've seen many situations in which in Calgary, for example, there was one hospital, many patients infected. And among the six healthcare workers infected, five of the six healthcare workers were double vaccinated with mRNA vaccines. And so even though they didn't get super sick, these healthcare workers, they're suspected to have been part of the outbreak that causes hospital-wide outbreak. In, in terms of you won't get sick sick, but you will pass it to others. That so, is the problem. So, and we so, have a lot of people who are not vaccinated. Yesterday on this program, I was going through a rather remarkable and shocking study showing that among people who had COVID infections that were minimally symptomatic. They had a sore throat. They went, they got checked. Yes, you have COVID, but it never went beyond that. Basically almost asymptomatic or even a fully asymptomatic. Among that group, a significant percentage, I don't recall the exact percentage, but it was like between 20 and 30%, three to six months out, were beginning to experience symptoms of long COVID, you know, nerve pain, difficulty breathing, chest pains, things like this. Is that kind of danger or future what somebody who is fully vaccinated and gets a very, very mild breakthrough infection with the Delta variant or any of the variants can expect? Or are we also, if we're fully vaccinated, not only protected from ending up in the hospital or being dead, but also protected from having long COVID as a consequence of having a mild infection? Right. This long COVID question is a really good one. We don't know enough. 
overall, it's about one in seven infected people who get long COVID in about 30 days from when you got infected. It's one in 12 in, in kids. But the problem is that even mild infected people can still have long COVID. Now, there's also evidence that vaccines help reduce long COVID. But we know for sure that there are many cases of long COVID, even among fully vaccinated people, and that we have to be extremely careful. This is why in this whole pandemic, my entire approach is precautionary principle. We know vaccines work. They work really well. But you should probably not take out your masks, especially indoors in crowded, risky situations. And you should probably not take a cruise ship right now. Right now, with long COVID, it's the long-term effects that will not just have immediate costs, but long-term burdens to healthcare system, costs to our, our medical system. And I think we should really keep taking precautions until we get double vaccination up to 80, 90 percent, we should not let down our guards. You hear 70 percent a lot. That's for the original contagiousness. But a more contagious virus needs a higher a herd immunity threshold. And that is, by the way, not one dose vaccination. Two, we're talking about two dose vaccination. Right. And that is the issue. We're not even close to that. Parts yeah. of the U.S. are incredibly low levels of vaccination. When the CDC and basically the, you know, the federal government came out and said, uh, suddenly, actually, it caught a lot of people by surprise. Hey, you can, you know, throw away your mask if you're completely vaccinated. Were they signaling that if you're fully vaccinated, even if you get an infection, that that's not that big a deal? And that, the, and in fact, having the actual infection might even confer some additional long-term immunity? Or were they just running off the numbers? Why would they say that when there is this kind of risk that we're facing right now, even among people who are fully vaccinated? Yeah, the risk is low. And in certain ways, I think it was a calculated decision. I don't agree with it because the, the main problem I disagree with, A, is vaccinated people can still transmit to unvaccinated people. That's one concern. And two, when you meet an unvaccinated, uh, unmasked person in a grocery store, are they unmasked because they have a vaccine or are they unmasked because they're an anti-masker? And that really worries me because everyone, some people have vulnerable kids, vulnerable immunocompromised people at home who can't get vaccinated or the vaccine doesn't work well, such as the immunocompromised. But that's why we should really keep vigilant and allowing people to take off their masks is just giving anti-maskers further ammo and excuse to go unmasked. Yeah. And that only spreads it further, especially with America. Yeah, I totally get it. Dr. Eric Feigelding, uh, FAS.org. It, follow him on Twitter, D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G, Dr. Eric Ding on Twitter. A great, great feed. Dr. Feigelding, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's always great talking with you. Thank you. Stay safe. I will do. You too. <laughs> we got a long way to go on this thing. Tom Harbin here with you. And uh, on the line with us is our old buddy, Lori Wallach, the executive director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Tradewatch.org is the website. And of course, uh, you can tweet Lori at Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-H, Lori, L-O-R-I. And Lori, welcome back. We Last time we talked, we were talking about TRIPS, the trade-related intellectual properties, if that's what it stands for, how we might get vaccines into the arms of uh, poorer people in poorer countries in the world that can't quite afford to do it themselves. Where are we at? So the great news is that the Biden-Harris administration on May 5th came out in favor of this waiver of intellectual property barriers and then has worked to get Japan and Australia and Brazil and a handful of other countries that had 
been recruited by President Trump to block this critical initiative. But here's the bad news. Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, is adamantly opposed to this waiver. And she has right now got the entire EU position locked down the way the voting happens. Hmm. And then kind of hiding behind her is the UK and Switzerland. It's down to the European Union, led by Germany's recalcitrance. France is for the waiver. Belgium is for the waiver. Italy, Spain. But Germany has the blocking vote. So the European Union delegation and the UK and Switzerland. The whole rest of the world is the WTO is trying to do this waiver, and those three entities are stopping them. There's a negotiation happening right now. What is her argument? Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Today there was a big Joe Stiglitz op-ed in the main German publication, Die Zeit, that laid out why the arguments that the Germans are making don't make sense. Number one argument is it's not necessary. But of course it's necessary, because the pharmaceutical companies, if everything goes right, might make 6 billion doses by the end of the year. And we need 15 billion to get herd immunity. And if we don't do that, it increases enormously the chance of a vaccine-resistant variant that we then all have to start from scratch getting revaccinated and millions more people dead. So they say, oh, it's not necessary, but it is. They say rely on big pharma, but we have, and we've got not what we need to get as far as enough vaccine to actually end the pandemic. Then they say, well, developing countries can't make this. If we waive this, nothing will happen because they don't have the capacity or they'll make unsafe meds. And that really is as neo-colonialist and racist as it sounds. Mm -hmm. Because, in fact, the Washington Post, the New York Times, AP has been replete with stories about world-class manufacturers all over the global south some of whom you and I, when we get certain vaccines in the U.S., they're coming from the Serum Institute in India. It's the world's largest maker (laughs) of vaccines in the world. Generic meds, the FDA has approved them. And there's a whole series, Tom, of these world-class manufacturers that came out of U.S. government money in the mid-2000s trying to actually make sure that there was vaccine preparation. So there's one in Bangladesh, there's one in Egypt, there's one in Pakistan. These are really high-end, high-tech, government-approved. We can take their generic meds. And so we don't need every country to make it. We need to get online this capacity exists and in places where there isn't enough capacity to get new lines started. We need basically to triple the volume of supply because truly, if we're not all vaccinated, no one is safe. Lori, my recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, because this is just a recollection, is that the kind of origin story of the mRNA vaccines, the ones that are so spectacularly successful against this virus, was with a couple of immigrants to Germany. They were called Turkish immigrants, a husband and wife team of scientists who helped develop this. If that's the case, is, does that have something to do? I mean, is there a German business here that's leaning on Merkel or, uh, you know, German pride or something? Or, you know, she's no dummy. This is a woman with a Ph.D. in physics she's, uh, or chemistry. You would think that the idea that you don't want variants that can kill even people who have been vaccinated would sink in. Right. So two things to that end, because you're spot on. She has a Ph.D. in chemistry. And part of the problem here is, From her past life, she is herself a bit of an intellectual property maximalist, Uh, because as a scientist who's been in the industry, she's very much stuck on this false notion that without these monopolies, no money will be made. 
Right. In fact, even with this waiver, the only thing that would stop is the companies that are now monopolizing production and don't want extras made because they're thinking about the boosters. Like Pfizer last month just said publicly, we're making $26 billion this year with the $20 a shot pandemic pricing, but next year is going to be profitable because we'll be selling boosters to rich countries for 150 to $175 a shot. Wow. And they don't want competing producers. So with respect to Germany, it's the ideology of Angela Merkel in favor of this, you know, patents for her own history. And, and Switzerland is, two, is just always in favor of anything that helps rich white bankers and people like that. And then number two problem, though, is the history of mRNA, yes, is very tied to the couple scientists, husband and wife team, who are behind BioNTech. He's a migrant from Turkey. She's born in Germany of Turkish parents, Turkish migrant parents. It's a wonderful story. They are two people who are in a community of scientists around the world. The original person who came up with the idea of mRNA was from Hungary. The person who then took it the next step is a woman who was American at the University of Pennsylvania. There are scientists all around the world who've been collaborating on this. Now, here is the piece of it that makes no sense, though. So, yes, certainly there's German pride. But here's the problem. The couple in Germany behind BioNTech have sold absolute monopoly rights to Pfizer for worldwide production, except for Germany, Turkey, and China. They sold production rights in China to a Chinese company. So right now, the monopolist isn't even the German firm. The German firm gets paid per dose. The monopolist is Pfizer. So why Angela Merkel should feel protective about U.S. giant big pharma troll? Pfizer is not a German company. It's an American company. American. Okay. Extremely mysterious. Our counterparts in Germany are beside themselves. I can imagine. They just don't understand what the hell is going on. Is Germany standing in the way of 130 countries? What we're talking about here is not going to Pfizer and saying, we're taking your vaccine away from you and uh, you're going to have to give it away for free now uh, or anything like that. What we're saying is that countries around the world that have the ability to produce vaccines will license essentially these vaccines from Pfizer. They just won't be doing it at this really, really high price. Do I have that right? I'm recalling this from the last time we talked that this isn't actually going to hurt these big companies. It's going to help the rest of the world. It's very close. Right now, the problem is that you have a handful of vaccines that are the most successful, the mRNA vaccines, and the whole world wants them. The companies want monopoly control under patents, copyrights, trade secrets, other forms of intellectual property monopoly. These handful of companies, Pfizer, Moderna, et cetera, have been approached by world-class manufacturers in many countries, from like Kiva in Israel to the ones that I mentioned in Bangladesh and Pakistan, et cetera, and they have simply for the rights from the company to be able to produce. So that instead of maybe having 4 billion doses of the mRNA vaccines, if we're lucky at the end of this year, there will be enough for the whole world. And these companies have systematically said, no, we just are not going to allow anyone else to make it. And as I said, Pfizer just come out flat out and said, why? They don't want any competition so that next year when they can charge 150 to $175 for rich people, for boosters, they don't want to have competition because right now the pandemic price is 20 bucks a shot. Pfizer is still making $26 billion this year, the biggest profit of any pharmaceutical company on a single medicine next year if they literally are going to charge five times as much plus, imagine. So they don't want more makers. The waiver would simply unlock the gate to allow more companies to have the right to be able to 
the same medicine. Depending on the law in the company, country, they have to pay either a royalty, say, which is based on, you know, per shot, what you make, giving back to Pfizer, giving back to BioNTech, or Moderna, if they make the Moderna shot. Mm-hmm. Depending on the country, the different domestic laws would have compensation different ways. But the reality is, the only question is, can more doses be made? This is not throwing away their rights. It's not stealing their vaccine. It's just saying to them, you had an option to this voluntarily. You have many qualified producers. You'll get your money, but you will not control people having no access and dying. I totally get it. Is there anything that you know, people like me or like our listeners can do to lobby the German government or our government? Is there a pressure point here or is this just information? There is a pressure point. So Angela Merkel, the leader of Germany, is coming to Washington, D.C. on the 15th of July. And around the country, there are going to be events. There are 40 German consulates sprinkled all across the country. And Public Citizen and Citizens Trade Campaign are organizing protests all around the country at those vigils. So you can come with a candle in the name of someone you love who has died or been sick from COVID and be part of the solution. Because there is one thing that Germany does not want. It's bad press in the United States. Hmm. So the way to get involved is please go to a website called rethinktrade.org, www.rethinktrade.org. You can sign up to become an activist. You can get information that way on where these vigils are going to be. Forty different cities in the U.S. are going to have these vigils. There's going to be a huge fiesta of protests in Washington, D.C. So if you're in the DMV, please be part of that. Everyone can get involved. And in the short term, the thing that you actually ought to do is call your member of Congress, your House member, because the Democrats, particularly in Congress, have been putting a lot of pressure on the German embassy, on the European Union embassy, to knock it off. So they need to be thanked, these members of Congress, and ask, please, double down, get the German and European Union guys out of the way so the whole world can get these vaccines. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. And the website, again, is... Rethink Trade, www.rethinktrade.org. Rethinktrade.org. Lori Wallach, tradewatch.org, Public Citizens Global Trade Watch. Lori, it's always great talking with you. I always learn something. Thanks so much for dropping by. Thank you, Tom. Keep up the great work, too. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
this is really an issue. I mean, this is really a concern that I'm still, I guess I'm agreeing with Dr. Feigelding. I don't think, you know, the CDC and the health infrastructure of the United States government should have said, hey, cool, take off your mask. Everything's good. Because we knew that COVID is a disease that mutates rapidly. You know, the common cold is a coronavirus. And and the reason why you can get five, six colds a year and why every little kid is bringing home colds from, from school is because it mutates so rapidly that every year there's a dozen different variations or some you know, something like that. The flu mutates frequently. It's why we have to get revaccinated every year. It's not because we lose our immunity to one, you know, to the flu. It's because we lose our immunity to that particular variant and a new variant can come along and just kick our ass. And we have known from the very beginning that this is very much the case with coronavirus, with this particular SARS coronavirus, that it was a virus that would mutate rapidly, particularly when it infects a billion people around the world. It's got a billion Petri dishes with with literally trillions of viruses in every single one of us who are infected. And so knowing that more contagious variants are coming down the road simply because that's how evolution works. I mean, this is, this is not rocket science. A high school biology student can explain this to you. Or a junior high school, <laughs> a middle school biology student can explain this to you. This is how evolution works. Well, you know, you get hundreds of thousands or millions of mutations of a virus inside your body on a, just a routine basis during the course of the, of the few weeks that you have an infection. And, and most of those mutations of the virus are not successful, and they cause that particular virus uh, to not replicate or to die. But one out of a million times, or one out of a hundred million times, the virus, ping, comes up with a variation that actually is more effective. With the Delta variant, it's more effective on three levels. Number one, it is more easily, it's more transmissible, it's more easily caught because it's stickier when it comes to, you know, it's, it's, it's super tuned to the spike protein. So it sticks to our, to the uh, ACE receptors on our cells more aggressively. So it's more contagious. It's, it's more than twice as contagious as the original COVID and half again more contagious than the uh, UK variant, the alpha variant. Number two, it's more deadly. If a person gets this variant and they're unvaccinated, they are twice as likely to end up dead in the hospital or in the hospital on a ventilator as were people with the wild variant. And number three, it actually shuts down the body's immune system for the first 12 hours of infection, which gives it a beachhead in the body and also makes people who are initially infected and not yet symptomatic way more contagious. Way because they've got, you know, the virus is like growing like mad because it shuts down the production of interferon on the, at the cellular level in individual cells. I think we need to be a little more careful than we have been, frankly. I, I, this is not, I'm tr- trying very carefully not to create fear or panic or hysteria. I'm just, I'm agreeing with Dr. Feigelding. Don't put away your mask yet. Let's be very cautious here. back. Tom Hartman here with you. So the piece I published over at uh, Hartman Report, and it's also trending, as it were, over on Daily Kos, is why is America the only developed nation with no right to health care? 
And it's a very short summary of a few of the things that I learned when I was last year, when I was writing this book that'll be out in the next month or three, titled The Hidden History of American Healthcare. It's why it'll be my newest book in the series. And there are fundamentally two reasons why we don't have an American healthcare system that functions and that covers everybody in the country and why there's no absolute right to health care in the United States compared with every other country. First of all, how bad it is, right? Let's, let's just define that. The United States spends 17% of GDP on health care. 17% of all the dollars spent in our economy are going to, to health care right now. It is 11%, or in the neighborhood, plus or minus a half a percent of 11% in Switzerland, Germany, France, Sweden, and Japan. And it is between 93 and 10%, 10.5% in Canada, Denmark, Belgium, Austria, Norway, Netherlands, United Kingdom, New Zealand, and Australia. All of them are at 11% or below. We are 17% of GDP. 22% of all our taxable payroll right now is healthcare premiums. Let that one sink in. We are literally the only developed country that has this giant blood-sucking tick attached to our backs of a for-profit health insurance industry. And how did we get here? Well, it turns out that the early opposition from more than 100 years ago to health care for all, I mean, it's not, it's not like this is something that we haven't tried. Teddy Roosevelt tried it. Franklin Roosevelt tried it. Harry Truman tried it. Jack Kennedy tried it. Lyndon Johnson tried it. I'll play a clip of Jack Kennedy for you after the break. They all tried to do this. None of them could pull it off. And it's because back in the 1890s, in 1896, the same year that the Supreme Court made America an apartheid, formally, officially, an apartheid country with the, with the Plessy versus Ferguson decision, that same year, a guy by the name of Frederick Hoffman published a book titled Race, Traits, and Tendencies of the American Negro. And basically his argument, and he was the vice president of Prudential Insurance Company, his argument was that African-Americans were so genetically inferior, both intellectually and physically, that if they were denied health care for just a couple of generations, they would all die out and it would solve the race problem in America. His book was one of the biggest bestsellers in 1896. His book was one of the most influential books at the turn of the last century. He testified before Congress. He was quoted by conservative politicians ad infinitum. And this is why all the southern states, to this day, I believe, refuse to even expand Medicaid. No, we can't have health care for those black people. You know, they'll just die out if we don't. Honest to God, his plan was to deny health care to black people. That was his solution to the so-called race problem in America. And that dance is still being done. So that's, that's half of it. The other half is the mind-boggling profits, like Dollar Bill McGuire, the, the former CEO of United Healthcare, who took $1.5 billion from his uh, time as CEO of that company. He had to pay back over $400 billion to avoid prosecution. But hey, he walked away a billionaire. This is a, a, a giant blood-sucking tick. So the Supreme Court says, yes, we can still have Obamacare with for-profit insurance companies getting huge subsidies. Maybe we should start talking about Medicare for all. Norm in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Norm, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Listen, Tom, let me tell you my experience with Obamacare, okay? First of all, Obamacare works. Anybody who tells you Obamacare doesn't work is not telling the truth. 
Yeah, it does work. It just doesn't work as well as Medicare. Right. Exactly. Well, I signed up for Obamacare, went for a eye exam, all right, and uh, didn't need a cataract, but they found uh, a blood in my retina. Ouch. All right. And they found, and it went on for quite a while. Turned out it was colon cancer. And uh, I had a procedure called a right, this is 2016, a right hemi colonectomy. Right, so and, they took out uh, part of your colon. Yeah, they took out having my colon and stuff. And the blood in the retina was had gotten real terrible. Even at its worst stage, I still had early stage colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had invasive adenocarcinoma into the submucosa. Yeah. And when you get when that came back from the pathology report, it took me three months just to get over the psychological effect. Oh, I can imagine. They, so, Norm, where are you going with uh, this? So what, where I'm going with this is that I wouldn't be here without Obamacare. That's where I'm right. going with it. Yeah. You know, I would be a ghost calling you up right now, scaring you <laughs> half to death. So when people say that Obamacare, that it's it's not true. It, it needs improvement, of mm-hmm. course, be, you know, and, and those sort of things. But Obamacare saved lives, and it saved my life. That is my testimony. I tell people this all the time. And had I had, uh, and one of the things was, is I didn't have insurance for seven years. And I'm a pharmacist, okay? Mm. Seven years I couldn't get insurance because they wanted to rob me to the $8,000 a month. I signed up for Obamacare on like the second day of stuff. I hadn't had a colonoscopy in 10 years. And the point is, is that that was in 2006. When I came back in 2016, the only reason I went for the eye exam to see the retina specialist is they told me I was going blind. And to find that you have colon cancer, come on. You know, Obamacare, Obamacare works, period. End of subject. I'll repeat it again. I tell everybody that story, and don't let anybody ever fool you. It needs to be improved upon, but it worked. Saved my life. Norm, thank you, and I'm so glad you're still with us. It's great to hear from you, and thanks for the testimonial. So there's a new study that has, this is not peer-reviewed, but it is in preprint. It, it is being peer-reviewed as we speak, where... The scientists were looking at the ability of the COVID virus to jump from the human species, you know, started with bats and then it apparently went to pangolins and then to humans, to jump from humans to other species, which would be a big problem. If we can infect other mammals, you know, our cats and dogs, if we can infect rats or mice who have traditionally been disease vectors for all kinds of things from the bubonic plague to hantavirus, if we can infect them with this virus, We've got a whole brand new problem. And sure enough, they have found that these two variants, B351 and P1, both can infect mice in the laboratory. And they say this abrogation of the species barrier represents, you know, a serious problem. It's over at TomHartman.com. Check it out. So John Kennedy trying to basically wake America up. We are behind every European country in this matter of health care for our citizens. Most European countries did it a century ago. England did it 30 years ago. I mean, you know, he's just going off on this rant, right? And uh, it was brilliant. 
So why don't we have health insurance or why don't we have health care? Why doesn't every American have health care? For the simple reason I just shared with you. By the way, just a quick story here. Andrew Clyde is one of the guys who refused to vote to give the Congressional Medal of Honor to the Capitol Police, 140 of whom ended up in the hospital as a result of this violent act of terrorism committed by Trump followers. And I am totally with uh, Dean Obadala, who's got a piece over at MSNBC saying, stop calling it an insurrection. This was terrorism. But Andrew Clyde, he's a Republican congressman from Georgia. He was, this is bizarre. Michael Fanone is one of the police officers. Uh, He was tased multiple times. He suffered a heart attack. He was beaten. He was maced by these terrorists, these Trump terrorists. And... He was visiting the Capitol to say hi to members of Congress. They, you know, they're trying to get some changes. And he recognized Congressman Clyde at an elevator. And so he and another police officer, Mr. Dunn, jumped in the elevator with Congressman Clyde. And I just have to read to you, this is from today's Washington Post. I simply extended my hand and said, how are you doing today, Congressman? Fanon said. I immediately knew he recognized me by the way he reacted. He completely froze. He just stared at me. Fanon said Clyde did not motion to shake his hand in return. I said, I'm sorry, are you not going to shake my hand? Clyde says, I don't know who you are. So Fanon says, I'm sorry, sir. My name is Michael Fanon. I'm a D.C. police officer, and I fought to defend the Capitol on January 6th. And then he went on to describe being stunned repeatedly in the back of the neck and beaten unconscious, stripped of his badge and radio. Fanon says, quote, his response was nothing. He turned away from me, pulled out his cell phone, and started thumbing through the apps. At that point, Fanon concludes that Clyde is trying to record their interaction. So he says, after that, I just simply stood there. And as soon as the door to the elevator opened, Clyde ran. These cowards! These absolute flaming cowards! I think most terrorists are cowards, you know? It's just, it it seems to go along. Ray in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Ray, what's up? Hey, Tom, in any discussion about universal health care, we need to point out that here in America, yeah, when our health care costs us twice as much in the same breath, we should also be saying that the outcomes are only half as good. And so quite literally, our health care here is killing us. And the only uh, example that immediately comes to mind is infant mortality. And I'd love for you to riff on the rest of that. Yeah, well, infant mortality and maternal mortality. Women dying during childbirth or during pregnancy. And, of course, you know, uh, babies dying uh, immediately after or soon after being born is in the United States at levels that are equivalent to some third world countries. And it's largely confined to red states. The vast majority of this is happening in red states where Medicaid has not been expanded and where the minimum wage is so low that poverty is really grinding And, of course, it hits minorities more than it hits white people, even in red states. And this is not an accident, Ray, as I pointed out. You know, this whole idea, this scientific racism, I mean, that sounds like a, like a, a cliche or a catchphrase. That was actually a term that was used. They also called it biological racism. These were the two words that were used to describe this theory that was proposed. Now, you know, it goes back into the 1600s, the so-called scientific underpinnings of it, you know, because it came along with, with slavery. But this was a theory that Frederick Hoffman was literally traveling all over the United States, 
on the nickel of the Prudential Company, giving speeches to groups and testifying before state legislatures and testifying before the United States Congress that if America, if uh, white America could simply, and America at that point in time was entirely, you know, entirely controlled by white people, basically. Black people couldn't vote. Women couldn't vote for that matter. This was, you know, his book was published in 1896, but he was doing this right up until the 1930s. And his shtick was, if we can just keep health care away from black people, they will die out. And that will solve the race, the so-called race problem in the United States. And I am convinced, Ray, that that is still the thinking of people like, you know, Rick Scott when he was governor of Florida and refused to expand Medicaid in Florida, or the governor of Georgia, the governor of Texas, the governor of Louisiana, the governor of Alabama. You know, all of these states that have refused to expand Medicaid. Why would you not want the most vulnerable in your population to have access to health care? You want to kill them off, right? is, is this also a question of uh, insurance lobby that they're going to lose a lot of business oh, of course. if the government controls this? I don't understand. Yeah, well, prior to the 1980s, really, maybe the 1970s, the, the health insurance industry was relatively small in the United States and was not a major lobbying powerhouse. Uh, I point this out in the article in 1978 in a Supreme Court decision, Boston versus Bilotti, First National Bank of Boston uh, versus Bilotti. In that case, the Supreme Court said corporations can own politicians. And that's when the health insurance industry really stepped up to the bat and started lobbying against any kind of a national health care policy. But the table had been set by 70 years preceding that of Frederick Hoffman and his buddies arguing that we can't give health care to black people, you know, etc. So it's really two, it's kind of been two phases. The first phase was the racist phase. The second was the corporatist phase. Ray, thanks. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today on the Tom Hartman Book Club is uh, Nina Burley, by Nina Burley. The title is Virus, Vaccinations, the CDC, and the Hijacking of America's Response to the Pandemic. 
This is from Chapter 1, Smash the State. There are many ways to begin to tell the story of why more Americans died of COVID-19, the disease caused by SARS-CoV-2, than in any other nation on Earth. We can start at the Washington, D.C. hospital with doctors amputating the lower leg of the White House chief of security, a man who caught COVID in Donald Trump's mask-free domain. Or we could talk to the families of 46 veterans who died within days of each other in a Veterans Administration nursing home in Alabama. Or we could listen in on a therapy session with some of the New York City medics struggling with PTSD after helplessly watching some of tens of thousands of people die in a matter of weeks. Since this story involves mass death, religious zealots, and the worst case of government malpractice in the history of the United States, I'll choose the biblical opening. In the beginning, there was the state, and the ideologue said, let it be smashed, and so it was smashed. Dateline, Atlanta, March 6, Centers for Disease Control. Early days in the, shall we say, crap show. Uh, Cameras are rolling. The journalists are penned off like lab monkeys, awaiting morsels of information about an increasingly confusing government response to an unprecedented crisis. A plague visits the planet. Not the long-expected brain-eating zombie plague, another one. A virus that starts out feeling like the common cold, then coagulates blood and makes lungs look like ground glass on x-rays. Starves people of oxygen, sometimes even before they notice. Americans are just starting to die. Infested cruise ships are stranded in ports around the world. No one has yet decided what to do or if they have to do anything. Nobody in this great edifice of American public health, the gold standard for the whole world, journalists will write again and again, is yet wearing a mask. The President of the United States is the MC, clad in his casual costume he wears for events slightly more important than golfing, but less serious than his official duties, including hustling foreign leaders and rousing the rabble at rallies. He zipped his White House bomber jacket, retails at $122 at the White House gift shop, presidential seal above the left breast, over his gut. The effect is convex, truly bomb-like, containing the protuberance. Below that, a pair of khakis, white dress shirt, red MAGA hat, brim cocked level, just above the raccoon white circles around his eyes. The set for this show is a real lab. A table is laden with dozens of very large hand-pumped sanitizer bottles. There's a shortage of this stuff around the country right now. One more small crazy fact that is freaking Americans out. But there's plenty of it here by the president. The president will gesture at the bottles and remind the assembled that he never liked to shake hands anyway and certainly doesn't press flesh as a politician. Something he is careful to add. Most politicians do, but which is one of the myriad things that sets him apart from the odious herd. The other three men are more formal, as befits their position, hosts of this auspicious public health event with the leader of the free world. They wear suit and ties. Two of them have advanced medical degrees. One is a lawyer and a political appointee. They stand beside a man who has spewed going on 16,000 lies to the American public through the biggest bullhorn on the planet. The sensation of his nearness affects them differently on a spectrum from self-conscious embarrassment to toady awe in the presence of greatness to barely veiled terror. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, 
trim, bearded, a lawyer by training with no medical experience other than as a big pharma executive, gazes up at his boss with the eyes of a Labrador at heel. Center for Disease Control Director Dr. Robert Redfield, whose white chin and side whiskers are trimmed in the fashion of a 19th century vicar, can barely contain the fulsome gratitude he will shortly pour on the red-hatted head. Well, I think I first, I want to thank you for your decisive leadership and helping us, you know, but public health first, he says. I also want to thank you for coming here today and, and sort of encouraging and bringing energy to the men and women that you see that work here every day to try to keep America safe. So I think that's the most important thing I want to say, sir. A man named Dr. Steve Monroe, colorless and quivering, stands by. He's the guy who this morning has drawn the short straw, or actually the Harry Carey knife, in explaining to the media just what the hell is going on with the strange, slow rollout of the CDC's COVID tests. In New York City, frontline nurses and doctors were about to be overwhelmed with a wave of people turning blue from lack of oxygen in their blood, whose legs were mysteriously filling with clots and turning black. 20,000 people would die while doctors tried to understand what drugs or procedures might mitigate the strange constellation of COVID symptoms. Victims endured horrible final days connected to ventilators. Their blood gelled in their veins. Their organs failed one by one within hours. The book Virus by Nina Burley. Henry in Atwater, California. Hey, Henry, what's up? Hi, Tom. Uh, regarding the Supreme Court ruling on the ACA, I think we all need to remember that the ACA is simply the very conservative Heritage Foundation alternative to the uh, Clinton administration's uh, proposals on uh, health insurance. Right, to Hillary Care. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, and in fact, Republican Governor Mitt Romney put it in place in Massachusetts and loves to call it Romney Care. And that exactly. is what uh, President Obama brought us. And it's, it was a fine step. You know, it's an intermediate step. But it's not the end because it, our, our fate and future is still in the hands of these uh, greedy, and I think you can use that word accurately, these uh, greedy health insurance industry executives. Henry, thank you. Uh, well said. There is uh, such a fascinating you know, collection of things going on, right? Putin just came out and said, somebody apparently asked him, is Joe Biden losing it? And he was like, no, nothing slips by this guy, which is interesting. I have been so, frankly, blown away. You know, I don't agree with Joe Biden on everything. I'm more progressive than he is. I'll I'll put that right up there. But so blown away by what a great job he has been doing compared to what I thought he would do back during the primary debates when I was really worried. And uh, this guy is solid. He is doing really, really well. We've got a drought. It's going to be a hot day here in Portland. We had a couple of days of rain, and today the heat begins. And it is creeping our way from all across the West. And, I mean, all the way down to Mexico and all the way up to Canada. And, and just it's like this massive heat wave is coming. And with it, drought Lake Mead that powers, that produces the electricity through the Hoover Dam for Las Vegas and for, you know, much of Nevada and parts of California and other states is at the lowest level in history. Oregon is in an epic drought. California is in a drought. I'm not sure about Washington State, but this is happening in Utah. The governor has asked people to pray for rain. Might be a better idea to ask people to stop using fossil fuels or pray for, you know, carbon tax. 
or, you know, green credits, renewable credits to buy electric cars, things like that. But, you know, here we are. But this is a real change. And then finally, the Supreme Court, two people dissented on this, you know, which is fascinating. It was Gorsuch and Alito. And apparently they are the new right-wing crazies. Because the conservatives like Thomas and Roberts and, you know, et al., they're taking the position that they want to protect the profits of the health insurance industry. And then you've got the liberals on the court, you know, Kagan and Sotomayor and, and Breyer, who actually wrote the decision, saying that they don't want people to lose, you know, what little health insurance they have. As I said earlier, I think Obamacare was a great start. It's cemented, I think, in the minds of average Americans, the idea that everybody in America really should have health insurance. Now the question becomes, do we get it from some giant corporation that's going to skim 20% off the top? That's the, they call that the medical loss ratio. And it averages 20% for American insurance companies. It's going to skim 20% off the top. By the way, the medical loss ratio, the amount that's skimmed off the top for, quote, administration for Medicare and Medicaid is 2%. And that's what it is in every other developed country in the world. It's around 2%. That's what it costs to administer a national health care system. But our health insurance companies, 20%, because, hey, 18% of that needs to go to profits, or, you know, some large percentage of it. So here we are. And the Supreme Court just said, okay, uh, Obamacare is fine. And in a way, what happened was the Republicans were too slick by half. Right? The reason that this case got thrown out, or the rationalization under which this case was thrown out, was this idea that the people bringing the case, uh, basically the state of Texas, but you know a bunch of AGs, that bringing this case did not have standing. And they didn't have standing. Standing means you, you can't legally stand before this court and make a case. And the reason that they didn't have standing is because they couldn't prove that anybody was injured by Obamacare. Now, the injury that they were claiming, and this is rich, right? This, this lawsuit goes back quite a ways. The injury that they were claiming was that if you don't have health insurance, you have to pay a fine. You know, it, was, it used to be 90 bucks a year. You had to pay this annual fee to the federal government. You know, the IRS collected it. They call it a tax. In fact, John Roberts did call it a tax. That was his rationale for keeping Obamacare in the first place back, what, five, six years ago, you had to pay this fee. And what happened with Trump's tax cuts is as a way of just like sticking it to Obamacare, they reduced that fee to zero dollars. The fee is still in the law, but it is the law has been amended to say that the fee is zero dollars. So the Supreme Court looks at this and says, you guys are claiming that you're being injured by having to pay zero dollars. Get out of here. I mean, that's essentially what happened in the Supreme Court here in this ruling. And even then, you had Gorsuch and Alito going, but we don't think people should have health care. I mean, you know, it's sick and twisted and pathetic and, you know, I'm running out of adjectives. Anyhow, let's pick up your phone calls here. Susan in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I just wanted to let you know that here in Georgia, there's something going on with Kemp and the health care through Obamacare. He's been trying to violate the ACA, and I believe that he's gotten something passed that was kind of on the down low here in Georgia, that 1332 proposal, because I called the marketplace through Obamacare and my premiums actually doubled, 
even though we made $10,000 less the previous year. Wow. And that article that you read almost two weeks ago about the ER visits no longer being covered under United Healthcare. United Healthcare is Obamacare, managed by Obamacare Marketplace. So they notified me on the phone last Friday that I will no longer be able to use my insurance at any ER, no matter what the reason. If it's a heart attack, if it's a, you cut your arm off, it does not matter. You will have to pay cold hard cash. Whoa. Now, what I had read was that they would evaluate those ER visits afterwards and determine if they nope. were, quote, actual emergencies. Nope. nope. Uh, they told me there will be no ER visits allowed at all. My deductible went from $7,500 for the family to $9,500. I have contacted both my Democratic senators and my congressman, Hank Johnson, to let them know, and they were completely caught off guard. They had no idea. So they've got a team of people scrambling around trying to figure out how this has happened. And also that Kemp has put in place a state insurance plan. But you have to prove to Kemp, the state, that you have no pre-existing conditions, which I thought was illegal federally. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. That's incredible. So, yeah, That's I incredible. can't even qualify for that because me and both my boys have ADHD. Yeah. So we don't even qualify. And then my husband That's is a pre-existing a condition, in other words. Right. And my husband is not a citizen. And to get his state program, you must be a U.S. citizen. My husband is a resident only. Wow. Wow. Susan, so thanks. we have to pay. We just went up from two eleven a month for four people. We make forty five thousand dollars a year for four people. Right. We're going to pay from two eleven. Now it's going to four twenty two a month. Medical only. No dental, no vision and no emergency rooms. Amazing. No emergency room. And my co-pays went from, you know, your yearly visits, your regular mm-hmm. doctor visits, were $15 are now 50 Wow. Susan, I'm on Medicare because I'm an old fart. And uh, last week I had my annual physical. I got a, uh, a shingle shot, got a tetanus shot, had the physical, all that stuff. It cost me nothing. No copay, nothing. I mean, you know, this is why we need to extend Medicare to everybody in America. A single payer is so no hassle. Nobody oversee. You know, they're not double checking to make sure I really needed that. I can show well, up. Well, one emergency. of my one of my arguments about all, this whole everything uh, regarding mm-hmm. the last you know forty years is that well, it, even under Biden, you know, Biden has refused a couple of things, and the Progressive Party demanded and pushed and negotiated. And we're able to do things even right now as decriminalizing cannabis. So I think that we have to all get on the bullhorn and demand free universal health care now because it's going to get homeless people out of the streets. Mm-hmm. It's going to get poor people out of poverty. People are going to become more educated when they have health care. Yep. So it's a must. Yeah, I am totally with you. Susan, thank you. It's so very well said. Thank you so much. Philip in Sacramento. Hey, Philip, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Just uh, calling up about the, um, well, you kind of tied in nice when you said about the health care in the United States, about your upcoming book and COVID-19. I really feel like we're just on our own as American citizens. Like, we really don't get the help we need from our state and federal governments here. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I wrap up the op-ed over at HartmanReport.com with this point that right now we've got millions of Americans, literally, who are experiencing COVID-related illnesses, and in some cases, long-term illnesses, that are producing huge medical bills. And we're on the edge of a brand new way. I mean, typically, it's a half million people a year who declare bankruptcy because somebody in their family got sick. We are literally the only country in the world 
where if somebody gets sick, you can end up bankrupt. No, that doesn't happen in any other developed country in the world. So typically it's a half million a year. I think because of COVID, this next 12 months, we're probably going to see it pushing one, one and a half, maybe two million people. And that is going to create some pressure, I think, for Medicare for all. Back to you, Philip. Pardon the interruption. I- Oh, it is perfectly fine. I certainly hope it does create some pressure because we are on our own here. I mean, the state I live in now, California, is probably better than most states as far as yes. protections and, and, you know, services for citizens. But it's still, you know, laughable when you look at Canada, Europe, and all these other places. Yep. And yep. It's, Japan, it's South Korea, Taiwan. No deductibles, no co-pays, no BS, no pre-existing conditions. No, you can't visit the, the ER. I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. Philip, thank you for the call. Drew in Bedminster, New Jersey. Hey, Drew, what's on your mind today? Hey, I have a solution for uh, some of the Republican uh, roadblocks they're putting in. Uh, number one is their voting issues that they're preventing people from voting. Mm-hmm. And number two is the, the Republican states have the lowest rates of COVID vaccines. Well, it's not just the it's states. Like it's also the Republican county. We're seeing this here in Oregon. You know, the Multnomah yep. County, where, where Portland is, we got a really, really high vaccination rate. Yes. All these red counties around us, they're filling up their hospitals right now. Back to you. Yes. Yeah, so my solution is that just like the Republicans are saying, you need, a, you need an ID to vote. Mm-hmm. Well, why not have a proof of vaccination to vote? So you address two things. Either you get the vaccination or if you're Republican, you don't vote. Yeah. Did and you did you see what the, the governor of California did uh, yesterday? I believe it was maybe the day before yesterday. He announced uh, Gavin Newsom. He announced that California is going to provide an electronic version of your little I'm vaccinated card. And he, he was like, this is not a vaccine passport. Don't get hysterical. Well, of course, you know, they're, they're already calling it a vaccine passport in right wing media. But you can have it on your phone, on your smartphone. So yeah, let's stop arguing about getting rid of some of these voter laws, which which I'm supportive of getting rid of them. But yeah. Another tactic could be, okay, you want to play that game? Then you must be vaccinated. Yeah, use your vaccine passport to vote. It's not going to make it, Drew. I love the sentiment, though. I love the sentiment. It's, you know, it's just the right amount of snark. It's the Tom Hartman program. Talk media for the rest of us. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 